real quick before we dive into this episode of the podcast. Be sure to grab your free PDF copies of my latest books at frugal.show forward slash free. Now on to the show. If you haven't already, be sure to grab your free copy of my first two books, Frugalpreneur and Authorpreneur, by going to thesarahstjohn.com forward slash free. That's T-H-E-S-A-R-A-H-S-T-J-O-H-N dot com forward slash free. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Frugalpreneur Podcast. I am your host, Sarah St. John, and my guest today is the founder of PodFest and VidFest and the author of Start Ugly. Welcome, Chris Kremitzos. Sarah, thank you for having me on your show. Well, thanks for being here. And can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your background and how you got into this industry of live events? So I come from a big fat Greek family, grew up in New York and loved, I kind of was born into an event, if that makes sense. With the amount of cousins and family I had, everything was an event. Dinner was an event. If, you know, when we had social gatherings, we had competing events we had to choose because we were like Switzerland, my family. So it's like, which other family's home are you going to go to? And at that home, there'll be 30, 40 people there. I didn't realize how special that was till I moved to Florida. And when you move to Florida, everybody's from somewhere else, like literally either somewhere other part of the world, only 10% of the people are born in the state. I know that'll change over time. But right now, the majority of us are from somewhere else. So I started going to events because that's what you do in Florida to meet people. You go to meetups and events. It's built into the culture of Florida. And as I was going to events, I really enjoyed meeting some really great people. And I noticed that there was a a need in the marketplace for a group of business owners to get together. And I created a community called the Tampa Bay Business Owners. I I didn't know anything about events. I I knew a lot about community, bringing people together. I had no idea about logistics, just, you know, what kind of venue should you have it? Our first event was a nightmare. I, I was just going off my budget at the time. So I was like, this is what I could afford. This is what I'll do. But luckily for me, the people that I had at my event saw through my night but they as far as planning the events so they helped me and gave me really great feedback but they joined my community and and we built it into the largest group of business owners in the tampa bay area i sold that uh but prior to selling that we started doing an event for podcasters and i loved i always my background is i mean my background is a everything i've done is intentional but my background is in tv i took classes at public access and then started producing my own shows so i've produced two live shows So media is what I love. As a kid, I used to watch television yelling at the TV set. So there's a skill I had for whatever reason to do a better job programming content. All that comes together in live events because you have to program content. You have to bring people together like a family, which I love. And then you just have all the logistical stuff that help you create it. And PodFest was born out of me doing this once a year event, having fun. My wife got into podcasting because I told her about it in 2013 when I, I have put on one of my meetups. And since then, PodFest has quickly become one of the largest conferences in the world for what it is. And then we launched VidFest. Right now, we're birthing events. So we call them microcons. So we've birthed Military Creator Con, Audio Drama Con. So we do a lot of events under the umbrellas of PodFest and VidFest. Oh, okay. So VidFest, is that for YouTubers or? Correct. Yeah, YouTubers and live streamers. It's held at PodFest and it will be held next year. 
next year we're going to split it off into its own event, but because of what's going on with the pandemic and everything, we're just going to hold, which is a great uh, value for the podcasters because you have a full YouTube conference going on at the same time. There's a full podcast conference and you could go to whatever tracks you want. But the cool part is the influencers on the YouTube side are at our conference as well as the podcasters. So it's a very rare thing to have both of those groups in one place. Oh, wow. That's really cool. So if you have a ticket to one, you can go to both? Usually the VIP pass gives you dual access to both. So if it's a VIP uh, PodFest ticket, you get to go to both. And that's what a lot of people do that want to interchange. So uh, BidFest usually starts a day before PodFest. So you come in early and then the next day, basically VidFest is like a track within PodFest. And then you also have the PodFest Global Summit coming up August 10th through the 15th. And that's your attempt to set the Guinness World Record for largest virtual podcasting conference. That's correct. (laughs) Yeah. And it's it's going well right now. Our crowdfunding did a short two-week window and really was more for PR to get people excited and get it behind. So we held a meeting with the pillars of our community, about 80 uh, members, two weeks ago on a Friday. Uh, We hit 100% minutes within that call. They got on and then we're earlier today, we passed through 300%. Looks like we're going to hit 400%. So our stretch goal was like, hey, let's see if we could hit 200. Then we had 300 already. I think we'll, we have a good shot at 400%. So is this an idea you've had for a while or was it because of the pandemic that you decided to do a virtual summit? My schedule got shifted. The kids, uh, you know, no one could watch the kids. So having two young ones, there was a lot of times when I was like kind of floundering, like, what do I do next? So we did a, I did a test virtual event one week lead time and we promoted maybe three days before it went on we had over 874 people on that thing so we realized that our community is stronger than anything i've ever seen i mean internally this is a very strong community so i i was remarking to a friend of mine a good friend of mine and this is really good to have positive friends i was like yeah i can't believe we did this in three days time and he's like why don't you set the guinness uh, world record i'm like oh that's so funny that's so crazy he goes you always talk about it and you're mr positive why don't you do it and i was like how do I do that? I go, just cold call them. And I did. And I got their attention and they want to work with us. So now that and the other thing is I watch this movie for kids. It's called Sing. And there's a promoter in it named Mr. Moon. And Mr. Moon's theater collapses and he has to build everything out of nothing. He creates an open air theater and everybody still shows up. While my daughter was watching this movie, I've seen this movie many times, but I started tearing up for Mr. Moon in pride because I'm a promoter. I understand what that's like. That was really part of the inspiration of that story. And we said, okay, let's see if we could crowdfund it. Let's see if we get a sponsor. Everybody has moved forward. We have invested heavily in the Whova app, which is an architecture to give us So people could communicate and hold meetups and we could have all different time zones. And that integrates with Zoom. And we need to have bandwidth up to 100,000 people. So I know a lot of people kind of understand, but it's expensive. And then you have Facebook ads. So to do it right, we're investing quite a bit. Luckily, we're pretty much at 80% of what I needed to be. So for anyone listening to this, you got to have beliefs and then have systems. So the crowdfunding helped us. The sponsors have come through. And don't get me wrong, I have a lot of sponsors telling me, hey, we're not sponsoring anything right now. We're holding back for obvious reasons. So it just, all you need is a few. And now we're on our way to, I think, setting the Guinness Book World Record. So we're really excited about that. Oh, wow. So what is the Guinness World Record? Like, what do you have to get to? So it's the largest 
virtual podcasting conference over a week's time. So you have to realize like if a Joe Rogan held a live stream, he'd blow us all out within an hour, right? So this is for podcasters learning to podcast. And our goal is 100,000 people. The Guinness record is 5,000. So once we get 5,000 people, uh, we'll have hit the record. But these people have to like attend the, the education. So we have to provide stats. We have to have witnesses. The adjudicators review everything. So there's a whole process to it. You mentioned that Sing movie. I love that movie. I have it. It's a good one. So can you tell us, before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about what it's like to be a promoter and to put on these events and just the different struggles and financial issues that come up and whatnot. Can you kind of go into how that all works? I might be speaking out of turn, but I remember Gary Vaynerchuk tried to do some events and he hasn't done a bunch since. They're paying the butt. And the the challenge with events, you really have to love it. I actually love the challenge. But if you're doing it for, I want everybody to see how great I am, it's not going to work out. It's really about your community, what you're there to service. So I'm a community builder promoter, which is a very difficult thing to be because it takes a while to build community and you don't really make a lot of money until you have to have a very long-term view. I have a young man that's helping me right now and facilitate the online. And he's like, I can't believe how dedicated your community is. Early on, I decided that we were not going to skew our values to big name speakers. So we featured, like, I can't tell you a famous person we had speak this past year where we had 2,000 registered attendees at our live event. So we have phenomenal speakers and they're famous in their niches, but you wouldn't say like, oh, everybody knows that name. These are people that are not only going to speak, but now they're hanging out with everybody and they're part of the community. That takes time to build. And the challenge with a lot of promoters is let's say you do a promotion and you have a spouse and your spouse says, how much money did you make? I could almost guarantee you if you can make a hundred bucks on year one, it was a successful promotion. Most promotions don't break even till year three. And the reason is a promotion is a brand. Like the first year was a hundred people. Next year was 181. It takes time for people to hear about your brand and then get activated to want to come out to your brand. So one of the hardest things a promoter goes through is explaining to their spouse. Usually it's like, hey, we, we lost $5,000. Technically, you invested $5,000 to make a successful promotion. So you have to have the support of your significant other. If you're single, even better, you have to have your own mental capacity to support yourself when you're not making the money. And then you have to have a long-term view. If you could break even in your first year, you're actually doing really well. But now you got to work another year to get to year two, if it's a yearly promotion, and maybe you'll make a couple thousand. You're also trying to win the trust and relationships of sponsors. Sponsors aren't going to just give you money overnight. Some will, but most won't. For the last five years, I have gotten up to Audio-Technica, which I use their microphones. The first year, the guy didn't even give me his business card. I went to a trade show. I saw him. He was very kind. He was like, hey, I'm not going to give you a business card because I'm not going to do business with you. Right now, we're not looking into your field or whatever. Great. I said, okay, so I'll make sure you remember me because next time I see you at a trade show, I'm going to come up to you again. Second time I see him, six months later, hey, my name is Chris Kremitzos. You remember me? I do podcasts, blah, blah. Well, when you're ready to get in front of thousands of podcasters that use your mics and love your mic, I'm your guy. He gives me his business card. Third year, I see him again. Same thing. I still haven't landed him, but I know the guy knows who I am. I go up to him every time. And when the time comes, one day they'll sponsor the event. But you have to have that kind of long-term view. And I do that with hundreds of sponsors when I go meet them at different trade shows. That's part of the process. So to talk about the financial, there's three legs of a successful promotion. You have your ticket buyers. You have your sponsors. And then you have your back-end sales if you as the promoter have some kind of back-end product. For anyone listening, let's say a mastermind. Those are your three legs. If you could sell all three of those legs, you're going to do very well. 
if you can't sell one of those three legs, in other words, you don't convert, you're still alive if you have two of those legs. And if you only have one of those legs going, you're in trouble, unless you're really good at that leg. But you got to try and get all three going. If you could have all three going at the same time, you could do very well. Wow. So say someone's wanting to start a small local event. How do you recommend getting sponsors? Just reaching out to the ones that you think would be applicable to the people that are attending it and to the subject matter? Yeah, you would, you know, the speech I came up with. So I'm a big proponent of starting ugly. So this one trade show that I went to, I went up to the first person and I literally fumbled my words. I don't know what the heck I was saying. And they didn't even give me the time of day. The second booth I went to, I said, Hey, my name is Chris Kermitzos. I represent thousands of podcasters. Who in your company is looking to get in front of thousands of podcasters? I need to talk to that person. Oh, sir. Yes, sir. Right away. They take me to the person in charge of marketing. Hey, who are you? Hey, my name is Chris Kermitzos. I represent thousands of podcasters. We're looking for brands to put in front of them. What is your, you know, what are you guys doing? Are you the right person to talk to? Oh yeah, actually we're trying to get into the podcast market. Great. Let me show you my, and I have my program guide. And in that it has hundreds of faces that are like, oh, we want to be in front of this audience, blah, blah, blah. So you just have to go up to people and adjust your pitch. So you could say, hey, my name is blah, blah, blah. I live in Dallas, Texas. We represent 500 local entrepreneurs looking to do business with your brand. Who in your company is in charge of getting eyeballs in front? And they're like, oh, yeah, that's our local division. You got to pitch what's in it for them, not what's in it for you. And if you focus on that, you'll get some money. Many times, if you're a first-year promoter, my recommendation is to barter as much as you can. What does that mean? I don't know. Bigger promotions, you know, our sponsor decks are very high now, but in the early days, maybe my top sponsor was five or 10,000. And let's say the sponsor says, let's say you're in Texas and Southwest is like, hey, we do have some local budget for this. They'll say, we don't really know if we're going to be successful. So I'll tell you what, why don't we do some kind of trade? The person said, great, I'll give you $2,500 cash towards your $5,000. The other $2,500, we'll put it up on our social media. Now you're getting promoted by Southwest. You could point that Southwest is your sponsor promoing. And if they have a good time, guess what? Next year, they're going to go for $10,000 and give you more money. So you just got to, establishing the relationship is more important than money in, in year one. I wish I would have known that, honestly. I didn't know that. I was just like, if you don't have the money, we couldn't do a business. It took me years to figure that out. Establishing the relationship is more valuable than the money. So how do you determine how much a sponsorship should be? Is it kind of like a negotiation per company or do you have a set amount and then... It all depends on how new the promotion is. If you're a smaller brand new promoter and you're not like you, if you can get a hundred people in a room, which is a lot for a first timer, that's a decent number. And I wouldn't go depending on the topic, obviously, but maybe 10,000 would be your signature, your second, you know, let's just, let's use what everybody knows. Platinum, gold, silver, let's say platinum's 10, gold is five, silver's 2,500. And then you might have like, hey, we just want to support you for 250 or 500. And a lot of people, instead of telling you no, they'll give you the 250, 500. So that's good money too. Putting your the logo on your website. You just got to go after it. As you grow and people want those booths, those trade show booths, those go for thousands, you know, because then you're, they want that audience if you have the audience that they want. So then what's the difference between a sponsorship and a booth? There's two different values. So some companies want to have their representatives at a booth interacting with your people. So that's an exhibit booth. Other companies could care less. They're bigger. They just want their brand associated, maybe someone up on your mic for a minute, and then they go back home. Like they drive out and they go back home. So those are two different values. I have had sponsors give me tons of money and say, I don't want a booth. And you're like, okay, like, fine. Just understand it's a different value for different sponsors. You will have some sponsors, 10%. If you go up to a lot of people, you're going to get one that's just going to buy list price what's on the deck. 
others will negotiate. So you just take it as it comes in. As you get bigger, you have more leverage, but in the beginning, you don't. So you want to establish the relationships. Okay. So you can make, you have sponsorships, exhibitors, ticket sales. And then as far as speakers, do you have to pay them or do they pay you? We don't go down that rabbit hole, if that makes sense. So we started that from the beginning. It wasn't the kind of event we wanted it to be. So if someone buys a ticket and then they apply, we'll refund their ticket. We have like, depending on what kind of speaker, we have a whole different thing for the physical event. So we try not to go there. Now, I'm not saying there aren't speakers from time to time. If on the big stage, you'll work out travel and stuff, you'll figure something out. But by and large, we don't we don't get into that for a couple of reasons. In the early days, we would not be able to survive. We would consistently lose money if we did that. So we wanted to just focus on the community and build that long term. So our growth was much slower than if I did get some big names, if that makes sense. However, now our growth is faster. So in the short term, it's slower. In the long term, we're about to become the largest in the world and we're, gonna, we're doubling year over year. In other words, we retain our members. Very few conferences retain and then they bring people back. So the word of mouth for us is, is instrumental in the, in the future growth of the conference. And can you kind of go over some of the challenges that you have encountered? Like you had mentioned before we started recording about how at the last minute a venue might give you a huge bill just to turn on the electricity. Yeah, that was a friend of mine that happened to. They were able to get it down, but they still had to pay a little bit of money. It's almost the word that comes to mind when I think about it is extortion. But that's a strong word. But I've been sued by hotels. It's a very litigious thing if you don't follow. What people don't realize is, let's say I have an event. For me to get my ballroom space, because I'm a bigger event, and I'll go into how you could usurp that if you're starting out. I'll give you like the, the fast and, and, and cheap way to get past all this. But when you're an event that has to schedule years out, I have to guarantee the hotel a thousand sleeping rooms. If I don't hit that guarantee, I have to pay the difference. And there's penalties. So usually they'll say, okay, you have to know to negotiate 80%. I'll hit 80% of that, whatever. Ours in the, is in the thousands, but I'm using a thousand as a round number. So if you, I don't hit 80%, there's like a fifty dollars or $100,000 penalty for not meeting my room block. So I'm almost better off just buying the rooms myself and putting them under my room block. Luckily for me, I hit my room block. Then I get the banquet space where you go and sit down in that room. And this is the, I always laugh when people are like, why are tickets so high? Like they have no idea the, the, what the pressure that those poor promoters are under. They have no clue. They just think they're making money hand over fist. It's a business like anything else with margins. So then they'll say to you, yeah, we'll give you the banquet space for people to be in there, but we want $100,000 in food and beverage guaranteed. So now you have another stress point, which is you've been to it. I'm sure you've been to an event, Sarah, where you have a cup of coffee. The gallon of coffee usually runs anywhere from $80 to $160 a gallon because you're a captive person to that hotel. So you have to go through their food and beverage. So everything gets just like parking in some of these resorts. You're like, how come they're charging 25? Because they control everything. And once you're there, they know So these are all profit centers. So you have to understand and have some compassion for the poor promoter because they're trying to put on an event for you to you know, shine and meet all these great people and they're loving it. But there's a lot of logistics. So what we did, one of the things I wish I had was someone like me to walk me through the process. So what we did this past year is we created microcons where we allow people to host their own events at PodFest free of charge. So I take all the responsibility, all the legal liability. Everything's already signed for. And then it's just a joint venture on the ticket. So basically a piece of it goes to the PodFest ticket, a piece of it goes to them. So all of my co-promoters were profitable in year one, tremendously profitable. So that was amazing. And then we created a rev share with sponsorships that they brought in. It was it was really great. So we're going to be doing that even more for people with huge Facebook groups. They want to hold their events, any kind of influencer 
Next year, we're taking up an entire hotel so we could do more of those events. And masterminds, we actually had a group that had a mastermind. They loved it. There's people, you forget that a lot of these influencer events are in the West Coast of the country. We're on the East Coast and we're in Orlando. So we're attracting people from the continent of Africa, Europe, Israel, Middle East, and then all the people in Middle America love coming to Orlando, as well as you forget this, but if you're on the West Coast, it's good to have a mastermind on the East Coast of the US because now your people feel like they're traveling somewhere special since they all live in the same in the West Coast. So the microcons have been tremendously successful. I actually filled them all up from word of mouth. I didn't even have to promote it really. So we are creating a promotion video to see how many people we could help. But we want to help people that have communities bring them to life. It's part of our mission statement in our culture of abundance to help other people succeed. So the only thing we ask them to pay is uh very small, minimal charge for audiovisual if they want it, and uh, a little bit of coffee for their room. Wow, that's awesome. So basically, someone can have their own little mini conference within yours, and they don't have the liability, the overhead, whatever. They just pay some... Small flat fee, and mm-hmm. then they just focus on promotions, yep. Oh, wow. And then the audiovisual, that's like, so if they want to use their session for a podcast episode or a YouTube video or whatever. Correct. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Someday I might have to look into doing something like that. Like the- yeah, It could be as small as 10, 20 people. So uh-huh. actually, it's very reasonable. We know that the virtual world is important, right? So year round, that's, you know, I'm doing just like you and I were talking, we're doing things virtually, but we want to have an outpost once a year where everybody comes together. And we see that we've been blessed with this amazing community and we want to pay it forward. So those first opportunities go to community members of PodFest, but it's, it's open to people that want to be part of it. What do you see as the future of live events? Obviously, with everything going on right now with coronavirus, there's been a lot more virtual events, which I think is good for right now. You know, and some people might be like, well, all those expenses and liability of a live event, why wouldn't you just do virtual? But I personally think live events are better because of the networking aspect. So I guess, what do you see as the future of maybe both live and virtual? Well, virtual, I think people have virtual fatigue at this point. Let's be honest, we're all on it. There, And you know, this, there's something to be said about meeting someone personally and seeing them. So when I sold my first company in the event space, We were doing 200 events a year, a lot. We were doing a lot of events for that community. And I realized I started looking at my members. I was one of the youngest people there. Everybody was older. So that's why I like PodFest and VidFest, where all these influencers that live online come out once a year. So I I think our events, I I do see a day where our event will be 10 to 20,000 people strong. And then, you know, throughout the year, the virtual events will get better. Right now, we're seeing people have Zoom fatigue, and you hear that term. So with our virtual event, we paid a lot of money for Whova, which is a very successful app in the event industry that brings people together, like a hotel architecture. It's the closest I could get. But a lot of us have seen these virtual worlds that going in beta, and everyone's like, hey, join me. It's all brand new. So that's going to take a while to kink out to where it's really good. But I I don't see a replacement for the live event. And I think people will flock to live events when they come back next year in a way like they've never done before. I always say this to people when your niche is having the first, like, let's say you have a community, Sarah, and all those people know each other for years and you have that first event. What happens is you can have a community that has 14, 15,000 people. You're lucky if you get a couple hundred people to that first event. It's just a risk for them to come out. But those couple hundred people or a hundred people that show up create relationships that they'll have for the rest of their lives and know each other forever. So I think next year when we go back to these even bigger events, it's going to feel like that. It's going to feel new and it's going to create really 
long lasting bonds with people. So I think it's going to be a special year for live events personally. Now, when does that come back? I personally think by March, we'll see things going back. People have to recover financially. By April, May, you'll see everything coming back. And then June, I think we're back to businesses, you know, slowly but surely it'll be business as usual as far as the virus. Because we'll have, I believe vaccines will be out there. And and even if the vaccine's not totally disappeared, there'll be new protocols for everything. I don't see people stop living their lives, if that makes sense. Yeah, I really hope so, because I miss seeing people and, you know, meeting people and connecting and exchanging business cards or what have you. But yeah, so I'm planning on going to PodFest next year. When do you think you'll make like speaker announcements and whatnot for that? So right now we're working on the Global Summit this summer. So that'll keep us busy, which is good. I always tell people you have to have a a future that's worth living into. So that's my future living into right now. And then after that, I'll probably take September to reset everything. And then you'll see those go out in October. We'll start really pushing like internal promotion. So we'll be releasing the speaker submissions. We get hundreds. So what we look for now is really niche content. We love when someone's in a niche we've never heard of before. Uh, Part of this global summit is we have the microcons in there. So the global summit, we have FaithCon for the people that are faith-based podcasters. So that's a very specific niche and they say certain things, but we also have Sex Communicator Con as well. Those are people that talk about sex and uncomfortable things about relationships. So that's another niche, you know, Something you don't think about, but those podcasters never get shared. Who's going to share and say, hey, this episode really helped me deal with infidelity in a relationship or whatever. So no one says, no one Mm -hmm. shares. So that's like, how do they get around it? So that's an interesting subtopic. And then we have the Black Pod Collective putting on Black Pod Fest during our, and we have people in Africa, like literally Nigeria, Egypt, part of it. We have uh, Cinema Vos, which is a voiceover, international voiceover conference. They'll have people in South America, uh, Latin America, dual language, Latina X. So there's a lot of amazing things going on during this summit. We have a Tech Tuesdays. We have Startup Mondays. And then we have Microcons, Audio Drama Con. Those are for the fiction podcasters. And then Friday is our masterclass day. So everything's free up till premium Friday. And that's the day where we really do deep dives on audience building, monetization. I'm an expert at paid traffic. Like I've I've grown through paid traffic and it's not that expensive. And a lot of people don't realize you could really two extra podcasts with a small budget on paid traffic. Yeah, those microcons, those are really interesting. I'll have to check some of those out. I'm signed up for the, the Global Summit. So yeah, you'll appreciate it because we're going to announce more and more starting not this week coming, but event you'll see it. But the influencers you'll meet, you just like same here for me. A lot of these people can't fly out. And who knows when quarantine's lifted, if other countries, who's allowed to come in and out, right? So we'll be able to meet all these characters from all over the world. So it's really exciting. And can you tell us a little bit about your book, Start Ugly, and why you decided to write that book and what it's about? So Start Ugly is a parable. It's basically an allegory about a a successful business owner that gets started, but then they lose their way and forget how they once started was ugly and they get stuck in perfection and they plateau and from plateau, they start losing everything. So I wrote it because I see it every day of the week and I see it in myself. Microcons came out of that book. So I have been thinking about microcons for a long time, but I was too scared to execute it because you have to realize what a logistical nightmare it is to have 10 other branded conferences taking place at your conference. Think about the questions you get. Like, I just got a ticket, but it includes it. And I said, you know what? The only way we're going to learn is if we start ugly and just figure it out together. And it was a blessing. So that literally is going to help us almost double in size year over year, which is unheard of because I had 
the guts to start ugly. I always tell people we have a Kindle that's it's five bucks. I recommend the physical book if you can because we made it with the big word start ugly with the post note to put on your bookshelf to stare back at you to rob you of your excuses. And my mission is to help people live a life fulfilled with tons of start uglies where they perfect as they go. So it's not start ugly, stay ugly. It's start ugly and perfect as you go. And I think I had a, in the book, I, there's one little case study before I get into the, I don't want to ruin the, the fiction story is great. It's a, it's a really great story. But I give the example of my brother-in-law. I was explaining him this concept before I was writing the book. And he says to me, he goes, huh? I go, what's that huh about? Because I saw him thinking. He goes, I've been thinking about microbrewing beer for eight years. And I said, well, how much is a kid? He goes, it's like a hundred bucks. I'm like, What's stopping you? And he goes, well, you know, the money. I, and it wasn't the money. It's something in us doesn't want it. Like, well, you come up with an excuse. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Once he thought about it, he actually started doing microbrew. I go, how did it come out? He goes, oh, not that good. He goes, but I'm enjoying making beer. So now he has a hobby. Him and a friend, they all do it together. But when he said eight years, I passed a judgment on him. Like, wow, he waited eight years. And then I thought about like certain things I tried to do. And for me, it was like four or five years on certain projects. I'm like, what the heck? We're all the same. Like, we all think about these things. And I I did the project I wanted to do, and I stopped it. So the cool part is I know that I did it. wasn't the right time. I stopped it. Now I don't have to think about it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it doesn't mean that you have to be successful at everything. It just means get it off your agenda. See if you like it. Do a check-in. If you like it, keep doing it. If you don't like it, stop and think about doing something else. So now you get to appreciate life and try out different things. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's an amazing book. We've gotten 79, most of them, five-star reviews. And we sell books every day from word of mouth. So it's been a real blessing for me and my family to have that message out there. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. I'll I'll have to add that to my Amazon cart. I like that little sticky note. That's pretty interesting. I was talking to Alex Sanfilippo the other day. I was interviewing him and he was talking. He actually mentioned the book as in his describing of how he started Podmatch and how, you know, a lot of people feel like they have to get their idea and everything perfect before they launch it. But I think the point that you're saying and then what he was talking about was that you just need to launch it, um, minimum viable product, basically, and then, you know, just get better over time or like he doesn't even have a logo yet for Podman. Here's the example. This morning, my wife and I went to the beach. Our normal behavior is we wait till everything's perfect to get into the car. That takes us like two hours. (laughs) The new thing we do now is I put the kids in the car and then she has to get everything done. We're out in 15 minutes out of the house. So with two young ones, that's a start ugly. Start ugly is like just put them in the car. One parent's over there while the other one's gathering everything. You're neutralizing the situation. But if we wait in the house for all of us to be ready, all four of us to be perfectly ready, it's like an hour and a half process. So start ugly. We talk about minimal viable thing. We don't care if it's a product service or it's a way of doing things in your family or at home. Just get started. And then you'll figure it out. And, and honestly, it's not like a new concept. I mean, there's Six Sigma, Black. The only thing is people don't resonate with that. When you tell them to start ugly, there's something in our subconscious that resonates with those two words. And I found it would work. I would say up on stage and people would ask me, tell me more about start ugly. It's like, I don't really have much more than that. And then I created the book because I was like, over the years, I created more to put with that. And it, it helps break a pattern that we all have, which is trying to make everything perfect. There's no such thing. I mean, Mike, you probably remember this. When Microsoft first came out, they used to release their software with bugs. And I remember we're all like, who would release, what billion dollar company would release a buggy software? It's like, well, the largest software company in the world, you know? And then we realized that in software, they release it with bugs and the public will tell you what the bugs are. 
because you don't have time to wait because your competitor will usurp you and then they'll become the software of choice. So it's the way the world works now. And maybe it's the way the world has always worked. Someone always starting ugly. Well, I appreciate your time today. You've gone over a lot of useful information for anyone who might be looking to start an event or is just curious on how those operate and then the concept of starting ugly. Was there anything else you wanted to touch on that we hadn't? No, I, I would just say that when I was a kid growing up in New York, I grew up by Teddy Roosevelt's house, Sagamore Hill, and he was our 26th president of the United States. And I share this because it's something I want people to visualize and remember. When I was having a tough time as a kid or an entrepreneur endeavor that didn't go well, like I've been an entrepreneur since I was 13. So I'm one of those people like I've never really had a resume. I don't even know what that's like. So I would only get a job to make enough money to go back out as an entrepreneur. So I had a lot of start ugly moments and a lot of lessons. But I remember I would go visit him at Young's Memorial. That's a really old school cemetery. And he was buried there. And you would have to go 26 steps to get to the 26th president of the United States. And there was an inscription there. And I made a painting out of it. And it was keep your feet on the ground and your eyes on the stars. And I think as long as you have your feet firmly planted on the ground, but your eyes on the stars, you could get anywhere you want to get. And I would just tell anyone there, have a future that's worth living into and let the how appear, but focus on the why and you'll be able to accomplish some great things in this world. That's awesome. I love that. And people can find you at com. That's K-R-I-M-I-T-S-O-S. And I'll have show notes at thesarahstjohn.com forward slash podfest. And then podfestexpo.com. If you want to do a microcon or you have an idea, just connect us on the contact us. But we're looking for people that have communities already that could want to facilitate something. So reach out to us. We'll be taking those throughout the year. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Sarah. If you enjoyed and found value from this episode, I'd greatly appreciate it if you rate, review, subscribe, and share at ratethispodcast.com forward slash frugalpreneur. Until next time. Are you a frugalpreneur looking to connect with like-minded individuals? Join our community on Slack. Connect with fellow listeners share your thoughts on episodes, engage in meaningful discussions, including money-saving tips and entrepreneurial insights, and help shape the future of the Frugalpreneur podcast. Plus, you can submit your questions in written or audio form to be featured on the show. Let's build a supportive space together. Join us now at frugal.show forward slash slack. See you on the inside.